it's competitive out there. There are a lot of people getting laid off. There's a lot of candidates. There's also a lot of good candidates. There's also a lot of people who are uncertain about the industries they're working in and wanting to switch. All of these things. There's a lot of people out there looking for jobs. If you don't have a process set up, you will not have candidates. You won't because they will fall off. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Coke, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am joined today with my work BFF, life BFF, Molly. It's me. It's you. You're here. <laughs> And we're kicking off something new that we're doing on the show where Molly and I are going to hop on every week and chat a little bit about the things that we helped clients with and give you a little bit of behind the scenes to some of the stuff that people are asking us about so that maybe you can learn a thing or two about things that pop up in the HR side of your business and how to handle it. So welcome, Malls. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's a beautiful gray day outside. It's chilly. There's a chill in the air. I'm doing great. Feeling great. Here's the thing about Phoenix is it's <laughs> chilly, but it's sunny and it's like the best. Yeah. That is a really good combo. Oh, I love it. That's I'm wearing one. a sweater. So are you. I am. I'm wearing a sweater. I just got the sweater. It's a nice sweater. I like it. Thank you so much. Amazon special. How long can you wear sweaters in Austin? What's the sweater season? Oh man. It's like sometimes in October. Definitely November, December, January, February, and then it starts to mm. go out. Yeah. Same here. Sweaters I couldn't actually start wearing until like last week. And so okay. it's November 21st right now, if anyone's listening. Yeah. And I probably can get away with it till about middle of February and then I'm done. Then sweater season's over here, which is such a bummer, but I'll still take it over Minnesota winters any day of the week. As much as winter drives me crazy, I am a winter clothes person. I love coats. I love boots. I love sweaters. I love beanies. Winter clothes are my jam. Mm, I know. They are nice. At least in California, you could wear really that stuff almost year round. Yes. Well, depends where you lived. I guess you were a little bit more inland, so maybe not. But <laughs> I was thinking the other day <laughs> when we were going back and forth. So some context. There was a fire that happened recently downtown Los Angeles, yes. underneath the 10 freeway and underpass. Yes. And Molly and I were going back and forth because it was, was it the exit that you would take to go to work? It's the exit if I missed my exit, because that is downtown LA. There's a weird highway. A bunch of highways are coming together. And so if I would miss my original exit, which happened often, that was the exit I would take and then turn around to, to get it. And you would miss office. it. I would, same with me. So we would miss it because... Traffic would be so bad and assholes yeah. wouldn't let you in. So you would yeah. like miss it and you'd be like, son yeah. of a bitch. And you'd have to go two miles out of the way to come back. It was a thing. It was a thing. So anyways, so I started thinking the other day about, remember how cold the first Lumi office was in the winter? Oh my God, Jackie. <laughs> and I started when it was cold because I, I started in like December. Oh yeah. Did mice run over your feet ever? Remember the mice when it would rain? They would come and sit right next to your little desk to stay warm. I was very lucky in that I only saw the mice from afar. They never actually came to my desk. But I think it's because my desk was like ended in the middle and it was by a door. So it was super cold. Do you remember? I was like, yeah, we were on the end. And so 
generally I would see them from afar. I never had them run over my feet. They were very tiny. They were, they were so very tiny. tiny. They were very oh my tiny. gosh. The reason I'm thinking about this now is because we're talking about being cold. So remember yeah. we would cut off the tips of our gloves yeah, so that we could type and work because it would be so cold. I always have a work blanket because I need my emotional support blanket while working. In fact, I have it <laughs> on my lap right now. But I had two blankets at the looming office that I kept on my chair because one was emotional support and one was so I wouldn't freeze to death. Literally, it was so cold. This is real startup life. Like behind the scenes, you've worked at a startup. So there wasn't heat in this office at mm-hmm. all. And tons of huge windows, just huge windows because it was an old warehouse. So. I mean, it was a cool, the vibe of the office was awesome. It was like a renovated warehouse. Yeah. And there was one part of the office that had AC, but it would get hot as balls in the summer and cold as shit in the winter. And we had rows of desks. I'm trying to think of how many space heaters we would have plugged into those. More than is probably legally allowed. I'm very grateful it never burned down because there was also a lot of paper and wood and packaging and corrugate everywhere. So like a space heater is the worst thing we could have. God. Okay. Anyways. So when we were in that office, we would wear winter clothes for about six months out of the year, I guess is the point of me bringing that mm-hmm. memory up. Oh my gosh, yeah. that is hilarious. Yeah. All the things time. that we did. Okay. Anyway, so back to recently. Yes. So we often find ourselves helping clients with different questions that come in about various things about HR, hiring, all these things. And Oftentimes, these things are very stressful to the business owner and not very stressful to us because we've been doing it for so long, right? So like a question comes in and we don't panic because we don't know if it's a big deal or not. Yeah. It's usually not. (laughs) So let's talk through some of the things that came in recently over the last week and so questions that would come in. So we have one client who on a call, she was worried because... She was getting emails from her payroll provider or software. If you're a small business owner, you can enroll in a HR software that Mm -hmm. often helps you keep track of all of your HR things, process payroll. Track PTO. Yeah. Yeah. What else can it do? Store your offer letters or like handbook acknowledgements if you have an employee handbook. Some of that administrative stuff. I-9, like all the admin stuff. Yeah. And a lot of them will help you stay in compliance with theoretically sounds great because they'll notify you when something changes, but they're not always the best at explaining context around it. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to give you zero context. You're just going to get an email that says your unemployment in Florida or North Carolina, wherever it needs to be updated. The end. And then they'll send you follow-ups for months. Just kidding. Oh, and they'll often. put like little red exclamation marks a lot of times in the subject line. That's like, yeah. So it sparks it panic, which is what happened with this client. And they use acronyms too, right? So they don't spell things out. So I think no. the notice that she was getting was like, your SUI, SUI. From, <laughs> your SUI, SUI in, I don't know what state, let's pretend Florida, because I know that they're in Florida, has changed. It's important you update it. Mm-hmm. And she like, tried to contact them to help when they were like, sorry, good luck. I wanted to talk about this. So Molly, what is SUI? It's state unemployment insurance. 
So every state has unemployment. If somebody gets laid off, other specific ways someone can leave a company, they'll be eligible for unemployment insurance in their state. I'm assuming at this point, almost everyone's on unemployment at some point, but maybe that's not a fair assumption to make. But as a business, you have to pay into the unemployment account. It's a tax. It's a payroll tax that's taken out uh, paychecks and it helps to fund the unemployment insurance in that specific state. And every state has different percentages of what that is. Even I think, actually, I don't know if there's local ones for that. I think it's literally just state. Yeah, I don't know if there's a low. I don't think there's a low. I've never seen like a city one or or anything like that. I think it's just state. Yeah. And it's funded by the state, not the feds. Yeah. And so whenever, if you're a new business or something like that, you're assigned a percentage. And then that percentage can change typically annually. Mm-hmm. depending on how many claims are mm-hmm. filed, I'm say against your company, but it's not like a f- penalty necessarily. So like if you're going through a time period where you're letting go of a lot of people or yeah. laying off a lot of people, your rate may increase, which is also why it's so important to make sure that you're hiring well, because yes. if you're one of those companies that hires fast and fires fast, you might find your state unemployment percentage going up. Okay, so we defined what it is. She was getting a notification that it needed to be changed. What does that mean usually? And where can em- employers find this information? Yep. So when you first hire an employee in whatever state, you should have registered with the state agencies. And in that registration, you will get your SUI rate. Now, every state has this in a little bit different area or it's under a different department or name or name. Like when you go to register on their sites, it is so confusing. But if you know what you're looking for, it's not as confusing. Like we can do it very quickly. But someone looking at it for the first time, especially there's a couple of states that are incredibly difficult to figure out how to do it. Florida being one of those. California is actually pretty self-explanatory now. It used to be a little bit more confusing. Well, the city of New York is really confusing. Ooh, well, city, the, the city, city of New York, York has a different unemployment rate. It does. You're no, right. Think- <laughs> You're right. It is. <laughs> we dealt with that recently. <laughs> I forgot about that. Also, in Connecticut is pretty confusing. East Coasters making that shit difficult. I know. It can be a little bit confusing, but you have a login for your unemployment agency in your state. You will log in and your rate will be there somewhere within that login. There is some sort of paperwork and they will send it to you as well sometimes. But in this remote world, depending on what your mailing address was at one time and is now, but you can find it in whatever state portal that you log into your rate. So we actually, now that you're saying that, I think there's some pro tips we can offer listeners. When you're setting up your accounts for the first time, what mm-hmm. would you tell them to do? When you're helping a client or you start at a new company and all of a sudden they hire somebody in the state of Illinois, mm-hmm. what are you going to do to make this easier on yourself? The first thing you're going to do is get everything set up. But then I like to create a spreadsheet that has the link to the agency's website your account number and the login information and your tax rates. Just put it all in a sheet. Keep it updated. That way you can always refer back to that whenever you need it very quickly, whether it's just a login, whether it's just you need the account number for some reason. 
keep all of that in a spreadsheet. And just each individual state has its own line with all of its information. And you don't think you're going to need it until you like start with a new HR platform or you go to a new accounting firm or like something like that. And you have to get all of this information and you don't realize that it's not as simple as you thought because you just quickly registered without thinking about it when you first started. And I also recommend using a generic email address. Use like accounting at or HR at or something and not your CEO's email address or phone number. Try to use like company general stuff, even if you're a small business, because then it's easier to reset it. If you have to use a personal email, use the CEOs, not the accounting person that is hired at the time, because when that person leaves and they will, you're going to be scrambling to figure out how to log into your state accounts because you don't have that email address active anymore. And that is something we see all the damn time. Yes. And you can also, now this is extra work and a lot of small businesses do this as well, but you can also have an authorized representative set up who can access, and that would be like your accountant or Mm -hmm. your HR person. If that's an option, it is a good thing to set up because one other piece of this, not just the email address, but there's a phone number that's usually tied to everything too. And if that phone number is the CEO's phone number, I know from experience, it can cause a lot of roadblocks. If your state offers a way for you to add like an authorized person in some way, like that's a good thing to do as well. You want to take them off when you're no longer working with them. Yeah. I may or may not have had to pretend to be other people in order to get the most basic information because the stuff wasn't organized. For legal purposes, that was a hypothetical scenario you just described. Maybe that happened once or twice. We don't know. Maybe it has. It's a workaround that could potentially work if you needed to do that. Okay, so then let's say you ignore these emails. I don't actually know what could happen, but what do you think could happen? One, the wrong amount of taxes is being taken out of employees' paychecks. So that's an issue. You won't contribute the right amount. Yeah, and so fines will ensue. This isn't specific to state unemployment insurance, but in the state of New York, this just brings so much PTSD. (laughs) (laughs) I think I actually cried about fixing the state of New York at a previous company. Not only when people are hired, do you have to create these things? When people leave, you have to end these things in a lot of states. So like New York, there was an employee at one point and then she moved. She didn't actually quit. She moved to a different state. Mm -hmm. No one canceled or notified the state of New York that this had happened. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden we got a $17,000 fine in the mail and I had to work for nine months to try to get it fixed. I remember I'd call be like, hi, Jan. I don't know who answered. I'm like, I just started this company and... They didn't know that they were supposed to let you guys know when somebody left. Is there any way we can fix this? And I think I had to call Jan like five times. And finally, I was able to get it fixed. But it literally was the most challenging thing. And it was because in the city of New York, I think we needed to have like workers comp insurance through them. Yeah. And we weren't able to prove that we had it, which is why we were getting this fine. It was just it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. For somebody who worked remotely as an engineer and didn't actually even go do anything that would require workers comp, by the way. Anyways, going back, we had a client who was getting these notices and she was like, I just don't know what to do. So we were able to, on a call, share with her. What did we share with her? 
We just talked through logging in, locating the information to get logged into the state website and where to find the rates. And then they're using a system that she could then go in and very easily update it. Even though the help desk at the system can't help you figure out what the rate is, it is very easy to update the rate in that particular system because it's pretty obvious where to update it. Their emails also link to where to update it in their system. I'll give them credit for that. We were able to help her with something that was simple, but seemed scary. And I guess technically can be. Okay. So that's one thing we helped with. We also helped, and I feel like I've talked about this so much on the show, but hey, I'm going to just keep on talking about it till everyone does it. So we have another client that we are kicking off a recruiting project with. And we helped map out a hiring plan and created interview questions for the job. Why is this so important? Here's the thing. Zoom out a little bit. It's competitive out there. There are a lot of people getting laid off. There's a lot of candidates. There's also a lot of good candidates. There's also a lot of people who are uncertain about the industries they're working in and wanting to switch. All of these things. There's a lot of people out there looking for jobs. If you don't have a process set up, you will not have candidates. You won't because they will fall off. You may find someone who's interested and and you may be thinking like, oh, well, I just reach out to my network or I just ask other business owners. I get referrals, post a job and just wait around. Not going to work. It's not going to happen. Without a process of touching base with the candidate, with evaluating the candidate for what you really need. First of all, no one's going to come through the process because they're going to drop off. Then if you're not evaluating them for what you need, you could end up hiring the wrong person so easily because you get excited because you like them as a person, but they're actually not right for the job. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Unpack, such a funny word. I think in today's market, when you post a job, you're going to get a lot of applicants, but they're not going to be the right ones or they may not be the right ones. And then what will happen is you're in such a rush to fill the job. You just talk to a handful and then make a quick decision and then it's not the right fit. And so what we've done with this client is, and they were so great about being so bought into it, is we established exactly what was needed in the job and Mm -hmm. the different interviews that are going to happen and what we're assessing in each part of the interview. And then we created interview questions for them so that their team could use them to effectively assess the person and guide the combo. And it actually makes it really easy for them to show up for interviews because all they have to do is look at the person's resume before they hop on the call, look at the interview questions that we've already created for them and show up and have the conversation versus stressing out when the 10-minute notification shows up that you have an interview in 10 minutes and being like, oh, I need to look at the resume and I need to figure out what to ask them, right? Like it just, it actually, it took probably, it took us two hours to complete that. It probably would have taken you listening to the show four hours to do this work, but it actually saves so much time along the way. Yep, a lot. To go back to posting a job and applicants, like nowadays, if you post a job, you will easily get, I don't know, anywhere between 200 and 400 applicants in the first few days. It's insane. There's just, especially for, I would say, even director level and below, you're just going to get a ton of applicants. Jackie, like you said, you're going to end up evaluating a very small pool of people and then you get tunnel vision with that too. And you're thinking like, that's all that's out there. And then you go back and there's 600 more applications and it will really mess with your mind and become very overwhelming very quickly. So if you come in with a plan and know exactly what you need and the background that you're looking for of the person, then you can very easily figure out who to talk to, evaluate them all against the same criteria, which is very important. Because if you're not evaluating them by the same criteria, a lot of unconscious bias will come in. 
a lot of, oh my God, you get to the end of the process and you're like, wait, I never asked them about building partner marketing. Like these things, if you don't know exactly what you need to ask along the way, you create a lot of holes. So it just makes it way easier. It's a little more front end work, but it makes it so much easier. You do way less work on the back end and they're probably going to stay longer too. Hey, you know what I calculated (laughs) the other day? What? I don't think I told you this. We've filled over 57 jobs. I think since the company started, since People Principles mm-hmm. started, we filled 57 jobs, which is a lot of jobs. That's a lot of jobs. In like barely three years. Yeah. And our success rate, when I say this number to listeners, they're going to be like, oh, you guys suck, but it's above average. Our success rate is like 85%. That's awesome. That's really good. I know. That's really good. I think I looked up. I know she's brushing off her shoulders if you're listening. <laughs> now I just want to say, ladies is pimp too, <laughs> JC. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so I looked up, I mean, industry average, you can find any number for anything because it's so varied across big companies, small companies, hourly employees, all this stuff. But on in general, I think success rate of 80% or above is it's really good. I think average is like in the 70s or something like that. So I was really proud of that. And you know why that is? Because we make hiring plans. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. You know what you need, first of all, the biggest thing. You know exactly what to look for. And it doesn't mean that while you're interviewing people, some things don't change or shift. That happens all the time. But it's so much easier to move and bend and mold when you already have a plan in place than just delve further into chaos. Exactly. Okay. And so then another thing I wanted just to tell them about quickly, which you've done, I don't think that you were involved in this particular one, but you've definitely handled, it's benefits negotiation time. And so I had a client who I was looking through her new benefit plans for next year. Mm -hmm. The new ones become available January 1st. And she was like, why can't I just tell them I want to do exactly the same that we have now? And I think a lot of people listening to the show have that same question of like, Yeah. Why do we have to pick new benefit plans every year? Because insurance companies. They force you to. They force you to. And they change it every year. Slight changes too. The premiums always go up. But let's say maybe the deductible changes by $500. That's technically a new plan. Yep. Every tiny change to an insurance plan means it's a new plan. And they never offer the same plan the next year. And you have to remember, insurance companies are a business. They are looking to make a profit. And so they evaluate and change every year, just like every business evaluate and changes their plans or their pricing almost every year. That's the same thing. It's just health insurance. Yeah. So even if you want to keep everything the same, Mm -hmm. you still have to go through and at least look at them to see if they've changed. So in this particular situation, we looked through it and nothing had changed about the plans aside from the cost went up by 10%. The average, I think this year was like, Eight to twelve percent is an insurance premium. Average for like all across the board. Yeah, yeah, that is more. There was a time where they would go up by like four percent. This year, like that was the average. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a big increase, and there's nothing she can do about it. She could look at a different provider, but honestly, all the costs were the same. Yeah, and then we were offering three plans to her team, but nobody had enrolled in the middle plan. So they wouldn't let us keep that insurance plan this year because nobody enrolled in it last year. So we had a... Because what if there's someone new that joins that wouldn't like that plan? So long and short of it is you have to negotiate new plans. The word negotiate is so funny because you're not negotiating shit. 
You're not negotiating anything. Yeah. You have to select which plans you want to offer and basically just fork over the extra cash every year. And then end of November into December is when employees have to pick their new plans, which in this case, they're just going to stay on the same plan probably, but they have to actually say it. And that's when they can make changes and all of that stuff. And I helped a client go through that process. It was hilarious. We went through it together and she kept yawning the whole time. I was like, girl, imagine if I was a boring HR person. She's like, I'd be asleep right now. It's so important, yet it's so tedious. And the changes can be so minute or just related to costs. And it's just so boring. It is really boring. It's boring. I go, but don't you feel better now that you know a little bit about this? Because before she started working with us, she just had a benefits broker who literally would not involve her in anything, would just tell her stuff. Yeah, that's hard. She liked it better at first until I started forcing her to do it with me and teaching her along the way. And I was like, aren't you glad that at least now you know a little bit about what's going on? She's like, no, not really. I was like, seriously? She's like, no, you're right. This is important stuff that I need to know about it. I'm not going to say that I love knowing about it, but I do feel better running my business knowing what's going on and that this stuff is the place. So you are right in that. But she made the joke of, no, I don't want to know what's going on. I don't care. And she's like, but I do care. So I just thought that was worth sharing to listeners that you do feel more empowered when you know even the boring shit. Yes. And just because you don't know something and it's related to benefits or taxes, even though it seems scary, it's way less scary to just know or at least understand what it is than to compartmentalize it away. And then at some point you get a notice, you get a fine in the mail, and suddenly it's the thing I should have just at least educated myself on. I could have prevented this. Which reminds me, actually, during that call, she was like, I actually have a question about this. I'm getting the Blue Cross Blue Shield bills in the mail or whatever, and it looks like I'm paying for everyone's insurance in full. I'm not supposed to be doing that. For context, the way we have her benefit plan set up is that there's a base plan. So like the lowest cost plan, she covers at 100% for her employees. Yeah. So she pays that full premium. And then there's a more expensive, quote unquote, better plan that her employees can pay the difference on. And so like half of her team is actually on that higher level plan. Mm. So the premium is a lot more expensive And she's like, it looks like I'm paying these all. Like, why am I getting a bill in the mail for their full plans? And I was like, that's because, and I was able to explain to her how it works. And so what happens is you pay the full premium every single month when you get the invoice, but you're collecting money from your employees through every paycheck that they're contributing. And then it's trued up on the back end when payroll is processed. So it looks like you're paying the full premium, but you're not when the deductions happen on the back end with your accountant. Now, we're not accountants, so I couldn't tell you where it goes or what like into your your books, but you're not paying the full amount if you're actually collecting it from paychecks. So I was able to explain that to her as well. And I showed her in on pay on the pay stubs of see this money on your employees pay stubs is being withheld. And that's withheld into your account. Yeah. So. Yeah. It is very confusing. So anyways, that was our first behind the scenes. This was so fun. I mean, for me, I hope it was fun for the people listening. I bet we'll get some juicy ones soon. Oh, my gosh. We had to help with this employee issue or whatever. So 
they'll get better, maybe more compelling. Although hopefully you learned something on these. (laughs) I think learning something is the most important part. And then, you know, it's a little bit juicy too. That's all I said. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Thanks for hopping on. And I'm sure I'm going to see you and talk to you in about five minutes about something else. Exactly. I'll see you shortly. Thanks for tuning in. Chat with you next week. Bye. And before we wrap up today's episode, I wanted to share something with you. If you're a small business owner looking to build your dream team hassle-free, keep listening. Or maybe you have fellow entrepreneur friends who keep struggling with making the right hires on their team. I just wanted to take a second to remind you that my team over at People Principles offers high level, what I would say the best headhunting recruiting services in the market. We take the guesswork out of finding the perfect candidates for your team. We help you set up your hiring process, creating interview guides and an interview flow for you. And then we go out and find the best people to fill your open jobs so that you can focus on growing your business. We understand that as a small business, every hire matters, and that's why we're here to help you make the right choices. Check out our recruiting services over at peopleprinciples.co forward slash recruiting. Let's take your team to the next level.